0: You are listening to the Edu Salon Podcast, a space for connection and conversation around education. Each episode, Dr. Deborah Nedalitsky talks with a global education thought leader to provide insights into where education is now and where it might move next..
1: Hello, and welcome to the Edu Salon Podcast, recorded on the lands of the Ghana people of the Adelaide Plains, to whose elders, past, present and emerging, I pay my respects. My name is Deborah Natalitsky and today I'm thrilled to be speaking with Parsi Salberg. Parsi is a Finnish educator and author who worked as a teacher, teacher educator, academic and policymaker in Finland and who has advised schools and education system leaders around the world. He served as a senior education specialist at the World Bank in Washington DC, lead education specialist at the European Training Foundation in Italy, director general at Finland's Ministry of Education and Culture and visiting professor of educational writing. His most recent books include Let the Children Play, How More Play Will Save Our Schools and Help Children Thrive, Finnish Lessons 3.0, What Can the World Learn from Educational Change in Finland, and In Teachers We Trust, The Finnish Way to World Class Schools. Parsi is currently Professor of Educational Leadership at the University of Melbourne, Australia. Welcome, Parsi.
0: Thank you so much, Steph.
1: Great to see you. Let's start the conversation. And I guess I was thinking back on the engagement that I've had with your work over some years and some of the work that really probably first drew me into the sorts of things that you've written about and spoken about. And I was thinking back to around 2012, when you talked about the global education reform movement that was sort of known as germ around that sort of standardized compliance driven, corporate management driven, test-based accountability kind of education system. And I was wondering if you might reflect on how much there's still ripples from that movement now, and how relevant is it still to think about what you coined back in 2012-ish?
0: Yeah, it's it's good to meet you too, Deb. Again, and um, it's about 11, 12 years since uh, this conversation happened about the global education reform movement. And and for those who are not familiar with the uh, with this idea, it kind of emerged not only through my work but also through works uh, of Michael Fulan, who has been your guest, and Andy Hargreaves, and and some others when we try to kind of makes sense that why why some countries have chosen a very different pathway in, in in improving and running their education systems than the the others and this was obviously made very clear by the OECD's uh, PISA findings that really allowed for the first time to take the whole system and and kind of ask these questions that what's going on in those systems where things are are going better or, or well like canadian provinces or finland or some others and then there are those who hope to be or were thought to be uh, doing well um, and, and that's where this kind of idea of uh, standardization and uh, uh, high stake standardized testing and accountability and competition and choice became around that. and the oecd has been uh, since then using the same kind of idea of you know what what are those education systems doing? Where things are going differently? Your question about what has happened during the since the the previous conversation and, um, and that was my time actually first time when I came to Australia twenty twelve um, and I, I would say this that there's a we are much more aware uh, about these movements these global movements um, because of many things that the uh, obviously the international organization like the OECD has been. Uh, very vocal about these things, and then the individual scholars here in Australia and and overseas have been uh, kind of a reminding us that we are still pretty much within the um, this old old idea, old paradigm of schooling that is is trying to in a way fix the old the past systems, education systems, and it's very important here that I'm not talking about individual schools, I'm talking about the systems. Rather than try to think about how to reimagine the um, how could we reimagine the whole Teaching and learning system the whole school in a way that would uh, provide different opportunities uh, to different different learners and different kids. Yeah, so, so we have we have the uh, uh, many of those germ uh, symptoms here with us and some countries more than the others. And I, I'm afraid that as time goes by, that we will need to need to learn to live with those things um, even in the future and, and try to find a way to the um, a different type of schooling.
1: Hmm. And a lot of your work has been based in your home country Finland and the Finnish education system and you mentioned the Canadian provinces how would you encapsulate what the rest of the world can learn from that Finnish education system I'm aware I just asked a question that might take some hours to answer but uh, what how might you start by talking about the key things that you think Finland does and has done over time that it uh, may be systemically and in practice different to other countries.
0: Yeah, that is a great question, and and the brief answer to this is that you know if there's one lesson that we can learn from, place like a system like Finland, a country like Finland, or some of the Canadian provinces, it's it's this that there are different there are alternative ways to build a well performing or high performing education system, compared to the the one that we often think uh, that that we need. We we need to think about the system, building the system through standards and 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 kind of a rigid, solid system of education. Finland is a very different different place when it comes to education. Has been and continues to be focusing on on very different things. But you know, when it comes to these individual ideas, like elements of the uh, education system, let let alone the schools, I think uh, the the whole question becomes much more problematic because it's a uh, um, it's a very well-known thing. Uh, you know this uh, through your work and uh, the work of others. That is uh, that the educational ideas uh, don't travel very well from one place to another. And and this is what we have learned during the last 20 years. That many people have tried to imitate or copy some of the ideas. Uh, you know, sometimes from Finland, but also places like singapore or shanghai or other places and bring them home and only to realize that it doesn't really work why it is why it doesn't work here so so i, I think that the, the the finnish lesson really is this different difference the kind of encouragement people to think differently um, for example think hard about the the role of the whole child the ASEC is a, one of the fundamental foundations of the finnish uh, system and finnish so- society that we see all the children different individual. Individuals, And we see all of them through a kind of a holistic lens when it comes to learning and development rather than viewing children as subjects that will be performing in the system uh, in a fairly narrow area of uh, academics as it is often here and, and in many other countries. But this kind of encouragement, inspiration to be different, think differently uh, is one of those main things. And I have had a privilege to host many delegations now from Australia to Finland. And that's exactly what good principals and teachers always do, that rather than see what what I can take with me back home and, and try to do like Finland is doing, is to be inspired about uh, you know the, how the Finnish system Focuses emphasizes well-being of all the children, or equity and uh, engagement and attendance that are big issues here in Australia, uh, and then come home and and you know use this inspiration to figure out. Some people say that you need to you need to build your own Finland here, and that's exactly what the people people need to do. That the, the, for me, the Finnish education is not the concrete idea of this and that; it's more about uh, it's, it's more about this inspiration, the spirit of inspiration that people. Uh, people have correctly done and if if that helps us to think uh, differently about our own schooling on school our, our own work that's that's exactly what i think should be happening
1: yes yeah, so i'm hearing there are a couple of things one is around the importance of context and culture and you know the society and the environment in which you're working so it's not easy it's not easy to go oh, that's working else, elsewhere so we'll lift that and we'll drop that here and it will have the same effect because it won't but there's a thing there, there's sort of a philosophical underlying purpose around education that isn't around academic achievement and competition, but it's actually around nourishment, nurture, wellbeing, whole child, holistic, looking at, I suppose, preparing that child for life, living, making choices, being a, a healthy and well person in the world, and then maybe thinking about things in alternate ways. What does it look like when you have a schooling system or you know, a day in the life or a, a year in the life of a schooling system where it's about holistic education rather than that more narrow academic achievement and performance of achievement?
0: Yeah, I think the the first thing really is to think about everything that the school is doing, uh, whether you're a, a school principal or you teach a subject in a school, from the point of view of the child. And that is a, that's a big difference in these approaches that we Probably too often here in Australia, we think about education through the kind of adult's view. It's it's our job and and, and service and function of the society, rather than something that would empower and help children to, you know, learn more about themselves and the world uh, around them. The other important aspect that comes with this whole child or whole school idea that is a very, very common, uh, not only in Finland, but the whole Nordic Scandinavian culture is the um, the fact that we, we can only we can only achieve our goals or dreams when it comes to educating or taking care of the the our younger ones if we work together and that is the uh that is the fundamental idea of the the finnish system as well is that that the health for example or social services or other support that the children uh often and more often now than before are are receiving in the community uh, is something that needs to be done in collaboration with the educators and others. You know one of those things that I've been working here in Australia now during the last couple of years is this idea of reinventing Australian schools as a, what we call a multi-purpose communities where the purpose of purpose of going to school would not only be learning something about the subject or uh, skills but it's 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 about taking care of yourself Le- learn to take care of yourself as a human uh, as part of the community um, and so often here the conversation gets difficult in Australia as many other places because of we think that education is is a is a kind of a silo where we do our things and then other people and other services and other public policies take care of care of the rest but this is something that the Scandinavian Nordic countries have been able to leave behind quite well already long ago that the child is at the center and then we collaborate and work together at the level of the policy at the level of the system and services to make sure that uh, children are helped and supported where they are and school is the place where they spend most of the time outside of the home when they're young and, and that's that should be the natural place for uh, providing kids with the you know everything they need but you cannot do that without this sense and culture of collaboration mm. and the beautiful thing with with this culture of course is that it then benefits many other things that if we if we run schools uh, within a culture of collaboration and collectively being responsible for things that it it benefits also adults the teachers when they realize that the work is not only about my work and my results and my outcomes but it's a that we are we are responsible for all these young peoples in our community and we uh, you you know that we we, um, should see them also as uh, as our, our students and our children rather than just looking at my own classroom.
1: And I think that lens of the child piece is really important. Like people definitely talk about the student at the centre, but I think seeing what the world and education and schooling from the child's point of view is a bit of a different way to look at it. It's not how am I taking care of this child. It's actually how is the child experiencing this? What is their their view, their perspective? It's quite a it's a nuance, but an important one.
0: Yes, and you know this is uh, sometimes it's difficult to explain those things how they happen in 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 other places. That you you really need to be aware or have some understanding of about the culture of that place because the the nordic scandinavian culture in many ways is very different to what it is here i'm not talking about the school culture culture in general the uh, general um and that that makes it more kind of a open to ideas like collectively uh taking care of the kids and being uh, you know being responsible for everyone trust is one of those things that is a is a Fundamentally different there in the Nordic space compared to here, and without the trust, for example, within part of the part of the school culture, it's difficult to do things that Finnish schools, for example, do every day, um, only because they they have the kind of a, this sense of uh, sense of to be entrusted um, different responsibilities in the schools, unlike uh, often here in Australia or the United States or other places where schools are are not really trusted, not even the things that they are the best at like teaching <laughs> teaching stuff that they are all kinds of things built around the schools to make sure that they the principals and teachers do the right thing and that's quite uncommon in um, in the Nordic cultures for example when it comes to education
1: yeah and I know that book uh, in teachers we trust is around that trust of teachers in the education system um, but I'm interested also in that idea about collaboration that you talked about because I I can see the idea that you know educators and schools need to be collaborators not competitors but it sounds like the collaboration is much broader than that that it's actually an integration of other societal and well-being and educational services that are sort of collaborating with schools and educators which as you say is qu- is quite different to the model that we've got in Australia where that's you know you get referred out of schools for those things as a general rule rather than have those things integrated within a school community and what the school provides
0: yeah, absolutely, and this uh, public sector, public sector collaboration, and and um, and uh, these sector policies that have been and are de- uh, designed and uh, prepared in these countries is a is a good sign of this higher level collaboration that often is um, is missing here. Like for example, I often hear in in these conversations about seeing our schools broader than just education, knowledge, and skills. Um, for example, when now everybody talks about well-being, that how much schools should be held accountable for children's well-being, should be be measuring the well-being somehow or, or, or you know, t- seeing seeing that as a, one of the outcomes, that often the, the conversation stops or gets really complicated when they, somebody says, so who's going to pay for that? The, the whose budget is this mm-hmm. if we are doing this or saying that no we cannot do this in Australia because you know education budget is doesn't include these things and they are not uh, you know health experts and people in every school and if they were who should be responsible for for those things and this for me some sometimes sounds like a really um, funny conversation because again you know if we put the child in the center and say that we 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 need to organize these things and services so that it's a most effective and uh, economically sensible and um, and good for the kids. Uh, then, of course, you know we we should not worry about who pays because the money is there anyway. That's just to think about how do we how do we solve this problem so that the kids can be where they are and and grow up in a ways that uh, will help them to make the best out of themselves.
1: Mm. Yes, yeah, so as you say, when it comes down to logistics and who's responsible and who's who's. Who budgets for it, and how does this work logistically? That's where it kind of everyone is in principle agreement that we should be doing things like this if we could, but then it becomes sort of in the too hard basket. Correct. Mm, that must be frustrating as someone who advocates for these <laughs> things <laughs> to hit brick walls. No, I.
0: Yeah, well, it's a, it, it, uh, yeah, it is uh, frustrating at some points, but um, I still see a lot of hope, and I, I'm kind of optimistic in the sense that we will somehow figure out you know this country we we live in one of the most advanced and uh, developed, uh, wealthiest countries in the world and we can we can do anything we want so so you know this conversation would be taking place in um, some other places we would probably i would be probably frustrated saying that we, this will never work but here in in australia i think we have uh, we have great schools that are already doing these things we have uh, good people and a lot of research and ideas to support this thing that we can here I always say that we can do this if we only want to do it. so so it's, it's mostly about people's understanding and, and really thinking about these things a little bit differently we would have a could have a very different school system here if we just uh, had more conversations and um, and listen to one another and then said oh that I, I never thought about it like this That might be a good idea
1: You have written a lot about what Finland can offer the world in terms of what good education can look like. Have you had time to reflect in your time working with and in Australia around what Australia might be able to offer the rest of the world in terms of what we're doing well?
0: Oh, we are doing so many things well. And I I just uh, understand and see this uh, clearer and clearer ways uh, the more I visit the communities and schools. This year I've seen probably about hundred schools, 500 classrooms or more, and spoke to hundreds of uh, principals and teachers and thousands of kids. And there are so many good things happening in our communities. The, the challenge here is that if we, if anybody comes to Austra- Australia and look at the system, like let's say that you take the, the, the system level statistics and data, it seems like, you know, we're, we're not really doing, uh, particularly well in any area. That we are average in performance and we have issues with equity and and many other things there's not really much there but i think it's very important here to go to the level of the schools you know your school and and many others are doing amazing things like you know this is what i often tell my colleagues in finland is that go and see the australian schools that are doing things in a way that try to respond to this question of the future like what type of learning um we would like to see our children engaging in, uh, so that it would benefit their future. We have, I often say that we have some of the most interesting and innovative schools here in Australia of any any other country. But as I said, the chal- challenge is that when they are within these systems, and they, these are across the system, the government and non-government schools, uh, we don't really see the kind of the systemness um, hides these different interesting forward-looking schools in it and and so that's why in order to answer your question about what Finland or other countries could learn about this is it means that you need to really go to the level of the schools and these units of the systems and look at what they do and so we we have you know this idea of future future school The, the questions like what what are we actually looking at or talking about when we talk about future or think about future uh, school or future of education that's something that we can see in many other schools here and that's a very very unique thing that it's easy to talk about this you know what the future school should look like what what they should be doing and what the teachers and principals what the leadership is there uh, about but what does it look like? How to do that is a, quite another thing. And this is exactly what we can do. We can do that probably better than most other countries in the world. And not only in a one kind of one format that, that we would ha- have like a one Australian future school. But the interesting thing is that all of these future schools are different. They're doing different things and they have different ways to organize the curriculum or, or the, the school day or schedules or uh, personalized learning, you know, all those things. And that is like... If you have a if you have an opportunity to do do that here and travel and meet the um, the staff and the kids and the communities you see really inspiring things and you really begin to see like w- what this future uh, what school could be in the future and that's the beauty of this Australian uh, situation that again as I said at the level of the system your your first first impression might be that there's nothing interesting here because we are not performing internationally any any particular Kind of a good way but as you as you kind of dive deeper and and get into these conversations it's a really exciting and um, interesting world over there that anybody all the others can learn a lot
1: as we're talking and i hadn't thought of this before the conversation too much but you've written for the flip the system books one of which i've edited and you wrote a chapter for that thank you <laughs> as you're talking i'm thinking It sounds like what Australia doesn't do well is the systemness of our schooling, but that if you go to that level of the school, as you say, and schools that are trying to show the system, this is what education can look like. There's amazing and innovative things going on, but it's having to filter up and it's not necessarily influencing how the system itself works. And that's one of your frustrations, I think, that you write about is the diversity is actually not a good diversity in lots of ways it it means that there's quite a lot of inequity in terms of which school you go to depends on the experience you have whereas perhaps in somewhere like Finland it's a much more even playing field I suppose depending on the school that you go to because the system is allowing that to happen
0: yeah yeah exactly and uh, uh, you you know together with the frustration that I, I sometimes have I must admit that sometimes it's like frustration comes from the fact that why why we just don't get get things <laughs> these things done like equity is one of those things that we we all we have known that for 20 years here with all the numbers our national and international statistics but we just can't find a way to do all, we don't want to probably find a way to to solve this thing but at you know on the other side with this frustration is hope that I um I continue to be extremely hopeful here when it comes to systems education systems uh um, ability and uh will to to move on particularly the South australia where you are and and uh, l- looking at the system, I just spent a the week there working with the schools and school leaders and it's it's a extremely uh empowering and exciting uh, situation that the state state is now when the the whole state the whole system has decided to take a much more careful, good look at the purpose of education and what the schools actually need to do and and trying to, you know, give school leaders and schools much more space to figure out how to build this future, future learning for each and every child rather than try to do the same thing that many others are doing, that the system is trying to lead this future that nobody knows what it's going to be. So so that for me, the the South Australian case is the, good recognition of the wisdom uh, collective uh, professional wisdom that the principals and, and schools have in the communities and schools together uh, to figure out what what to do so so that what gives me hope at the same time when I continue to be a little bit frustrated about that although we know everything we know the things are not good we know the problem is but we still um, don't want to get into this space of let's go and fix it and have a better education and better schools, a better future for all of us.
1: And South Australian education across the sectors is very flexible and innovative and future thinking. That's certainly been my experience. Uh, and you talked there again about trust, certainly trust maybe bit by the system that schools can have some autonomy. When you think about that sense of trust, and I'm thinking there's a lot going on in Australia and the UK and elsewhere in terms of teachers' work conditions and well-being. And in terms of the trust that teachers and schools have or don't have from communities to do the work they do, I think you mentioned earlier that even the things that we're expert in, like educating young people, learning and teaching, for instance, good pastoral care, aren't always things that we're trusted with, I suppose. I'm ge- I am guess I'm wondering partly what that looks like, but also what do you see as things that will turn that around a bit that will help communities, parents, um, to feel trust in what schools are doing?
0: Yeah, you know, again, it's a great great question and people often ask ask me and my colleagues in finland that, you know, how finland created this situation where basically all the teachers and principals feel that they're trusted professionals in what they do and it's not only me saying this but you know you can uh, you can ask this from anyone here in Australia, who has visited Finnish schools and spoken to teachers and principals, they come back and say that the trust is a kind of a common thing that most people recognize as a thing. All of them actually say that, you know, the trust doesn't grow just by talking about it. That if we really want to elevate the, the, the way that society and authorities and politicians see the educators and principals and teachers, we, we need to give them opportunities to be worth of trust. And this is exactly what Finland systematically did. It actually took took about a decade, about 10 years, starting from the um, uh, the fact that schools were allowed to pretty much design their own curriculum, decide what they teach, uh, not only how they teach, but what they teach in which order, decide their own learning materials, even assessing their, their students. That is uh, unlike many other places where teachers may have a lot of trust and freedom to do autonomy, to do... Other things, but then there's somebody outside who will come and say how well uh, the kids are actually learning those things. In the Finnish system, this is included in these professional responsibilities that teachers have. So this trust was kind of a growing and building over time so that it became a kind of a collective, a common feature of the culture. And, you know, if this is true, then of course, here it means that it's very unlikely that. Teachers would feel more trusted professionals just by a minister or somebody giving a speech and say, "We trust you. We know that you know you are able to do this." We have to be. We have to be given. Uh, we have to give teachers and schools opportunities to show, show that they are worth of trust. And this is exactly why I am so hopeful with this South Australian uh, situation right now. And it's, it's, it's similar things uh, probably somewhere else, but nowhere is, is, is so. So, system wide than South Australia, where the system leaders are actually asking and encouraging principals and schools to figure out, for example, how do they respond to the new strategy. And oftentimes, you know, this is not the case that the system may have a new strategy and then the authorities will give you a kind of a long list of things that you need to do to implement the strategy. And then somebody will come a couple of years later and check that you have implemented all those things, which is obvious that it's is a, a very very difficult to see any trust growing in that type of uh, environment. So so we need to give teachers and schools opportunities so that they can do these things. And then at the same time, like what Finland did, we, was that we built also these support uh, structures around those encouragements so that the school that is not able to do that or the, the leadership of teachers don't have experience how to do that they will be supported and helped that's a much uh, much better way so i guess that we need to kind of assume that and understand that building trust takes time i think in our book we write that trust arrives on foot but it leaves on horseback, hmm. which means that it takes time to build this tr- culture of trust, but then if when it's gone, it goes very quickly, and it takes a time to do that again but, but you know Finland was kind of a what we did, and some other places like Canadians, many Canadian provinces have done exactly the same thing that like systematically built this uh, sense of trust that be, schools and teachers and principals have over time and protect that make sure that no policy no no new reform should be kind of a going against or, or try to be kind of harmful for this trust and it's a it's a systematic systems work that takes over time but it's it pays off in the in a in the long run as it has done in many of these other systems
1: yeah, that time to build the trust is is really interesting. I love that metaphor about it, arriving on foot and leaving on horseback. When you lose trust, it happens pretty quick. That systems approach is one thing because you absolutely can't just say, well, trust me, I've got this. That's not enough, obviously. You do have to earn trust and it needs to be demonstrated. Uh, and I like the example that you give of systems, in, a bit like you would engage student voice in a school, so that students are part of that process of what the school might be doing. Engaging school leaders and teachers in what a system's doing um, is also part of that building of, of trust and empowerment and autonomy and so on. Yeah, exactly. And I was remembering in, in 2017, you came to my school in Perth and talked to some of our middle leaders.
0: I remember that, yes.
1: You're, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I remember you challenged the room to think about the system that they were in, so the regulatory requirements, the systemic requirements, okay, these are the things that you think are your barriers but what can you do? You know, what is actually available to you within your control, in your classroom, in your school, in your role to do now? Is that still advice that you give or what if someone's listening and they're a teacher or they're in a school, what should they be thinking about now in terms of what they might be able to be doing when they feel maybe like they're within a system that is putting some barriers up for them?
0: Yeah, of course, you know, 2017 was before I lived uh, permanently in Australia. So I was still a visitor and um, obviously many of those things that I spoke about then were based on much less understanding and experience uh, of here. But I would still say the same, probably the same thing, maybe rewording it a little bit differently when people ask that, so what can I do? Um, One thing I often hear, uh, hear try to encourage people to say that one thing that we should not do is to wait that somebody will come and tell you what to do. You know, even if you, even if you feel that you're, you're part of the system that is very much kind of a controlled and part of the, part of the, um, like a large larger system, they always think that you can do. And I think that this time when nobody really knows what to do next, you know, if somebody, somebody believes that there's somebody in the higher there in, in, in the organization who has a good clear idea where education and schools and learning should go to, that's not that's not true. You know, it's almost almost so that the higher you go in a hierarchy, the less you really know what what the future requires. That they, this this wisdom is often in the classrooms and schools. So that's the first thing that don't expect that somebody will come and tell you know what to do next or how to how to respond to some of these goals and strategies and and plans that we have. Then the second one is that I think, you know, there there are many things in Australian way of. Uh, doing school schooling or organizing schooling that we kind of when I ask that why do we do those things people say that well you know this is how it's always been let me give you a good example that it's still it's not in every school but most schools are still run like this and I have two of two of my boys go to the school here in um, in Melbourne it's a nice school in the community but, you know, again, doing things in a, in a very similar way than probably most other schools are doing. And one of those things is that um, the school day is organized in a way that there's a... My boys have first two hours from 9 to 11. They they do normally two different subjects or stuff. No break between. Um, uh, mostly, you know, classroom-based stuff. And teacher is, you know, trying to keep these kids engaged, which is, which is okay. And then there's a little break for... Often it's called morning tea. And I still don't understand why we call it a morning tea when, you know, my kids don't drink tea and (laughs) they they have many other things in mind that they would love to do than, you know, having a cup of tea. And then followed by another two-hour chunk of some subjects. Then there's a lunch break very late in the afternoon and then followed by the last uh, chunk of, you know, hour and hour and a half something like this before the school day ends. And, you you know, I've been asking this almost in every school where I, I see this, that why how did you decide to do this? You know, organize a school day like this. And it's like, why do you ask this? You know, this was given to me. This is a school where I went to. (laughs) Like, there's no, almost like there's no other way to do this. And, but, you know, if we get into this conversation about this fact, that is is this really informed by research and evidence of, you know, how children learn and, you know, how they grow up and how they develop, how they feel about things in a school, how much they can actually absorb or 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 receive stuff there's no no research saying anything like this the research is actually saying exactly the opposite things especially in the young kids where to talk about the primary school so so you know this this is one of those things that anybody can do like if you listen to this now and say oh my god you know it's exactly you're talking about my school (laughs) and you're telling me it sounds familiar for a lot of people i would say Yeah. That, are you saying that, you know, my school is the, uh, one, one of the most important things in a school that the structure of the school day is not designed or built around the, the or based on the, the best knowledge or evidence that we have about kids? And I'm telling you, yes, I am. So what can you do? You know, you can. And there are many schools who have been in these conversations with me and other people who have decided to, you know, restructure the school day. To make more more time for kids to have a recess or play or just hang around with themselves, recharge, refresh, and get back and 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 learn better. This is a this is a very Australian way to do these things. And you know, there's a more than this behind this simple idea that doesn't cost anything. Anybody can do this is that, you know, I my experience is that if we want to change the culture in a school and in in many places i'm, I'm sure that you agree with me Deb, that that you, you know the school school culture or changing the culture is an extremely important condition for transformation or, or improving uh, education but we can only we can only expect the culture to change if we make room for that by changing the structure and that's why this idea of just rearranging the time a little bit differently and having a little bit more like research-informed way of organizing students' work that we call learning or growth in a school could make a major difference in uh, outcomes and, and engagement and attendance. You know, many of those things that we are looking at right now. So this is one of those things that, you know, anybody can, anybody, anybody can do, it doesn't cost anything. The other one is that one of my favorite things right now in the same space is that why do we have the system where year four teacher, for example, is always teaching year four? Or if you teach mathematics in a high school, you always teach year eight mathematics. The response is exactly exactly the same, that this is how it's always been. But guess what? This This is not the only way to organize your school. Like, why don't we have a system that many Montessori or Steiner schools have, that you have the same teacher following the same group of kids multiple years. Some people say, why should we do that? Well, obvious reason is that if you want to learn to know your, your students and their parents, their needs, and their, their talents and passions so that you can help them to, you know, learn grow. It's a, it's a much better way to do it that way than every year get a new group of kids. Uh, you know, this is the other thing that has been, for me, kind of a surprisingly common thing part of the Australian schooling is to do things as they have always been done and there are many other things that you know if you sit down and you start to think about those things that what do we do in our schools only because that's how it's always been we are beginning to realize that there are things little things that we can change and as I said change the structure so that there will be room for new culture the culture to emerge so that's um, that's, uh, you know that's part of this hopefulness that I have uh, when I look at the schooling and schools um, and educators here in Australia, we can do much more than we think we can do. And at the same token, I'm always saying that principals and teachers here that you actually know much more than you think you know about, not only about what you do in a classroom or school, but how things sh- should be or could be in the future. And that's, that's something that we need to kind of collectively build this sense of ownership and professionalism on what we do, and then utilize that when we are moving forward.
1: Well, there's that wisdom of teachers and school leaders as knowing their context, their families, their students best, actually, in that environment. Absolutely. The lens of the child came through there again, thinking about what is this like for a young person? (laughs) What is their experience And asking that question? Why do we do this? And really interesting around changing structure to allow the space for changing culture. Yeah, that was, there were was some fantastic th- takeaways there. But we're coming to the end of our time together. So I'm going to move us, Parsi, to the final uh, five questions, which I like to call the enlightening round. The first of which is, I'm looking forward to this one, what is something unexpected that people might not know about you?
0: People probably don't know about me that there's a, there's a small rock and roll star living in, within me that is just about to come out.
1: <laughs> Any day now? <laughs>
0: Uh it's actually it's already out there, but I try to hold on to but just watch this space that you're gonna you're probably gonna hear about me, but not not in, in um
1: Do you play an instrument? Is it electric guitar?
0: Yeah, I play guitar and I've uh, been fortunate here in Australia to, to get to know some really dear friends of mine uh who play music and we are we are going on tour soon? Yeah, exactly. We're trying to put together something um something. So in um in um Adelaide next September, we're going to have a kid. Oh, there. fantastic!
1: So, you must invite me.
0: So that so that, that people didn't know, now but now know. you know. <laughs> yeah.
1: Uh, and what sort of music does your group play?
0: Well, you know that, that's a good thing because we we play we we play music that is linked to education of or leadership. You do. So <laughs> uh, uh, yes, yeah, so every 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 song that we perform has a, a story to tell to teachers or leaders or kids about learning. So it's a it's a typically a kind of a classic. Um, rock music that we all love we only play music that we all like feel strongly about but also the music that will easily engage our audience to the storytelling and then through music to remember and experience something um something new so that's what we want wow
1: fantastic and what about something that's currently on your desk
0: the the most important thing on my desk now is the emerging holiday I, i really need a break after this this has been really busy uh busy year yeah i'm really thinking about this this like a leadership space now when it comes to work a little bit about what would a a new type of uh, way to help school principals and and classroom leaders as well to think about leading future learning uh, type of thing so it's it's not about kind of a i'm not talking about concrete program or professional learning or something like this but what would be the kind of a new image for for that so that's on my my desk here as a kind of abstract pile of questions and challenges.
1: Nice when you've got those emerging ideas that are still a bit unformed but exciting. Yes. Who is someone that inspires you in the work that you do?
0: Well, I have a lot of inspiring colleagues here and things. But I, as I said, this—you know—South Australia. We're probably sick of <laughs> South, South Australia too much, but South Australia is very inspiring. It is. But you know, that's uh, honestly that's that's a place that inspires me in the in the middle of this. Uh, you know, there was crazy world. You know, you look, look what's happening. You open the new, mm. news; this only, only bad news and kind of a disappointment, uh, disappointing thing. So, you know, what's happening there is is really inspiring me. But you know, if I can mention a person, uh, Sir Ken Robinson, who passed away three years ago, and I, I don't know if you had a chance to talk to him or interview him, but he was um, obviously everybody, most people know who Sir Ken Robinson is, but he he was mm-hmm. my Kind of a coach and mentor for m- many years until he died really um and I promised when on the on the day when he died or, or the week when he passed away that i promised promised to him to try to keep his legacy on as a champion of children's play and creativity and those things alive as long as I can do that and so he is like a continuously you know part of the work and thinking that I do and um especially in the times when when you feel that, you know, why, why, why do I do this? Like nothing's <laughs> happening. It's like you, you need to keep on going because of this promise to, uh, to him and, and others. But there, there are many others. But, you know, those, those who are still with us here, uh, I, I have a impressive uh, amount of inspiring, strong colleagues and friends here. That is a very, very important part of my work.
1: Hmm. What is one thing that you, apart from your holiday, or can be your holiday, that you have coming up that you're excited about?
0: <laughs> I, I want to see how the um, how the surf goes here in in Victoria because I, I just got a kind of an idea of surfing waves in Northern New South Wales before we got here within the warm waters and uh, beautiful beaches. I haven't tried it here with my my kids who uh, b- both of them are kind of a crazy crazy about the oceans and, and waves. So I'm I'm looking forward to this and and see whether I still can can stand on the board a little bit and maybe find some people who can help me to do that. But I want to explore this beautiful part of the country as well here in, in Victoria and around uh, Melbourne during the next coming months.
1: Fantastic. And finally, if you were to distill your current thinking about education down to its essence, what's one thought or resource that you would leave listeners with?
0: I, I would say this. We spoke uh, deb- earlier about principals and schools and how much more they know that they uh, they think. My principle is this, that is uh, shared with some of my good friends and colleagues like Peter Hutton here in Victoria, Dave Ranch, that we often say that um, children have much more capabilities to do good things for themselves and the community that we give them credit for. And it may sound like a cliche, but when you think about it, it's actually a really important thing to keep keep in mind that we we you know if we just take this to heart when we think about how to teach and how to run a school that the kids can actually do much more than we think and not only things like technology and other things but they have a lot of they have the power to do amazing things we just need Mm. to kind of give them space and trust them and help and support them to do so so that is a kind of a more and more the thriving principle of my educational thinking and philosophy
1: well, thank you so much, Parsi, for joining me today on the Edu Salon.
0: Thanks, uh, Deb. And you're doing great things, by the way, by bringing, you know, giving voice to people and sharing these things. So thank you. Thank you for, for what you do. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Edu Salon podcast. You can join the conversation by subscribing to this podcast and sharing it with your network, by giving this podcast a rating or review, and by connecting with Deb and her guests on social media.